With all that said, uh, open your Bibles and or open your phone Bible apps uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we will be starting in verse 17 this morning. That's 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 17, and we'll be going all the way to verse 34. We've all got it. This is the word of God to the Apostle Paul to the Church of Corinth, and this is what he says. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine, genuine, among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, and another one gets drunk. <clears throat> what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? <clears throat> what shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, <clears throat> that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, as he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For everyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things that I will give directions when I come. So if you know me, you know that I would qualify myself as a serious home cook, right? So I love restaurants of all kinds. Um, recently, actually, Eli and I were getting lunch during one of our days working at BCM, and he encouraged me to even write uh, a bit of a blog uh, about how much I love food and <laughs> restaurants. Um, so just to let you know, I really do love, love food. I've never missed a meal in my life. Um, <clears throat> and... Different restaurant experiences are characterized different ways. Like, the way that I eat at a hole-in-the-wall restaurant like Stevens on Cameron in Uptown, or in downtown, uh, versus the way I would eat at, like, a Michelin-starred restaurant, not only are the two different eating experiences, but you would character yourself differently for those experiences. When I'm at Stevens, I don't need to think about 
how well the chicken's fried. Although, don't worry, I do. Uh, but say I was in Santa Barbara or Los Angeles, California, and I was eating at a Michelin star restaurant. I would be thinking, in particular, in four categories. I would prepare myself to consider the food. I would eat the food. And then I would, rec I would recount flavors that I noticed I would make sure that my palate has noticed things that maybe I'm not used to eating. Just as there are different eating experiences and there are different characters of those experiences, so it is with the Lord's Supper. Because you see, this meal that Paul has just taught the church at Corinth about, this is no normal meal. In fact, this meal is one that's to be considered, eaten, and reflected on. And it's not eaten like any other meal either. At this point in his letter to the church at Corinth, which, by the way, is a crazy church, uh, this is a church that has taken spiritual means of God's goodness and encouragement and grace for the church and put them in worldly categories. Instead of spiritual gifts, uh, teaching and admonishing the body, they've essentially become a spectacle. It's almost like a runway in a fashion show. Maybe you have this gift, but you don't have this gift. Instead of loving one another well in the Lord and love being the guiding force as it was for God who rescued them according to the love that he gave first, their love was more like that of a clanging gong or a loud cymbal. It wasn't really doing much. It was out there, but it didn't produce any fruit. And here we are. We see the church at Corinth characterized by a poor judgment of what the Lord's Supper is. And Paul expressed this ecstatic fashion with the church at Corinth in regards to the Lord's Supper. After explaining that he is pleased with them in regards to their generational customs as people who are gathering in the church in the first century, what he's not pleased with in our current reading is not a worldly custom. He's not worried about that. His dissatisfaction is with the one godly custom we've been given that is a regular ceremony of the local church. It's in regards to the memorial service and gospel proclaiming work of the Lord's Supper. Brothers and sisters, today we will learn that the Lord's Supper is not only just no ordinary meal, but it's a ceremonial event that roots the good news of Jesus' coming, dying, and return for his people. Paul's dissatisfaction is known through the expressions of divisions within the church body as factions began to grow. Now, he notes that some of these factions that have grown are necessary for knowing who is actually approved. And I want to say that this morning. This is a meal for the regenerate church. This is not for those of us in the room who think that we've done enough or are good enough to come to the table. Those were not Jesus' qualifications for the table. In fact, his qualifications for the table have nothing to do with you. Uh, people were bringing their own meals and even discouraging those who didn't have food. They were not wealthy enough to have food. Paul's disgust is in regards to the character of the church when it comes not only to the lack of worship that is happening in this Lord's Supper meal, but the actual discrimination that is happening within the meal. And then 
Paul makes a very important claim. He says, I give to you what I first received. And so what Paul is trying to do is he's not just hammering the Corinthian church as this random guy who wasn't a convert. He was persecuting people, and now he's a convert, and he's trying to see people rescued by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is actually trying to root that Jesus himself gave him his apostolic status to tell the church at Corinth these things. He was invested in them, not just as another Christian, but as the apostle to the Gentiles. And he's letting them know, you can't come and approach the Lord's Supper this way. You can't have ridiculous and useless divisions among you. In the church in Corinth, it wouldn't have just been spiritual. There were divisions not only what gifts the Spirit had given the church. There were divisions on, well, I follow Apollos. And I follow Paul. Well, I follow Jesus. <laughs> there, there were those three categories of division. And Paul is speaking to these people who don't seem to understand that all of it is rooted in the Christ that they're supposed to be remembering. So, my first point is this. The Lord's Supper is a summons to remember Jesus. It's a summons to remember Jesus. At this time, Paul is helping these Gentile believers grasp why their character in regards to the Supper is to be looked at a specific way. To partake in the Lord's Supper is not just to eat a meal. This ceremony given to the church by the Lord Jesus Christ is an, is an entrance into his life's penultimate purpose. Jesus' life's ultimate purpose was to die. If you read the book of Hebrews at all, we just got done with it uh, where our D group is at you'll understand very quickly, Jesus came to die. And he knew that. Many of us in this room very often wonder what God has for our life to the point of, if you would just tell me, Lord, I know that I would obey. The only problem with that is that Jesus, who is fully man and fully God, in the Garden of Gethsemane, asked for a way out. And since he's perfectly God and perfectly man, he can surrender the desire for the way out to go to the cross, despising the shame, but having people like you and me in mind for the joy set before him. For us, if we had that same circumstance, if God offered us the way out, we would take it. And we would leave humanity to die. But Jesus came to die so that humanity would not. Just as there was an unworthy manner to offer sacrifices to God in the Old Testament, so our hearts can be in an unworthy position to come before the gracious table of the Lord Jesus Christ and take the supper. That looks like not repenting for sin, but rather making it your pet. That looks like having divisions within this local body where maybe you've thought something about a specific person here at this church or maybe you've even said specific things to this church and you know that they were hurtful, you know that they were divisive, but you didn't turn around and fix it. Rather than making amends before bringing your gift to the altar, you just ran straight to the altar. 
Or maybe you have a grudge with somebody else that you haven't dealt with that's outside of this body, but they are a believer. It still applies. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's arrogance. Maybe we've been in such a spot here in America that's so comfortable that maybe we forgot that God wasn't a dollar bill. Maybe we forgot that God wasn't the things we own. Maybe we forgot that blessing doesn't always come with an earthly byproduct. Here's how we can apply this to our life. Remind yourself and other believers about the story of Jesus. As human beings, we consistently need medical attention. Therefore, we never outgrow the work of doctors, physicians, and therapists. Likewise, we never outgrow the need to be rescued from our sin, death, and suffering. Therefore, we consistently need the healing and restoring grace of the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's always present because we have a constant need. Christians will never outgrow the gospel. And the moment that we think that we do, we will lose sight of the only sufficient glory worth living for. Now, if the Lord's Supper is given to us by the Son of God, and we're to remember what God has done through him, then what does the Supper actually teach us about God? I think here are a few things Paul is saying to us. One, the supper is God's idea, so it actually deserves the same reverence as him. That's verse 19. Two, the church is God's church. That's verse 22. The supper is the story of Jesus being betrayed by his own disciples and giving thanks to God for the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood for the establishing of a new covenant. That's verses 23 to 25. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never once in my life found joy in the abuse of my body and the shedding of my blood. I've never had a picture in my head that would be strong enough to get me through. I've never had such a good enough goal that would get me through the defiling of my existence. I don't have that in me, y'all. I don't think any of you do either. None of us in this room have that. Yet when we take that supper, we have a relationship we have a legal contract. We have a new father. We have a new brother. We have a blood-bought freedom from slavery to sin. The chains are broken. And when we return to sin, when we like Israel think that Egypt was better, right, like, Israel was talking about Egypt. Like, we talk about jail sometimes in America. Three hots in a cot. All right? 
They thought in that moment, at least we had food back there. And then when the Lord provides manna in the wilderness, water from a rock, and we still look at him and say, it's not enough. Unlike the blood of bulls and goats and sacrifices that the Lord does not need, there is a blood that's been shed forever. It washes us without end. It's grace that is greater than all of our sin. That's what the old hymn says, right? Our second point is this. The Lord's Supper is a means of proclaiming the gospel. We know that the gospel is for sinners and sufferers. So that means that because you were raised in a Christian home and were obedient to your parents, did all the right things, whether people were watching or not, and kept bad things to a serious minimum, you're good, right? Do you believe the gospel? You're qualified to participate in the Lord's Supper, right? Sorry. I did say the gospel, which that wasn't it. I would actually say probably not. If this is our mindset today, or rather I should say, if this is our functional theology for everyday life, we're not fit to proclaim the gospel because none of these things I just declared are that. And we certainly aren't fit to take the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper is a proclamation of the gospel, which that wasn't was. That wasn't that. To participate in the Lord's Supper is to proclaim an absolute allegiance and dependence on the living Lord Jesus, who died and was buried and rose again after three days of death for the sins of people who at one point in his life weren't even looking for him, were intentionally enemies of him, and who drew near to God by God's power to be rescued from their sins. That's the gospel. And if you've forgotten that in this room today, Take heart. You can take hold of it every day. If you've never heard that or believed that in this room today, we can take hold of it every day. You can take hold of it today. Like today, if you hear, do not harden your heart. Take hold of this truth today. And we take hold of this truth for the sake of things like the Lord's Supper for the sake of carrying out the ministry of Jesus, who though we remember what he has done in his death, we can praise God today because, guys, Jesus is alive. He did not remain dead. Our second application is this. Make sure that your beliefs match your character and your character matches your preaching today. Every one of us that grabs that cup and takes that bread today will preach the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure that your life lines up. It goes that way for me too. As we come to a close, we want to take a look at the character of the church at Corinth very quickly. As we listen to some of the character traits mentioned by the Apostle Paul about this church, hear them and use them as a scalpel to examine your own heart. Know if any of these sins are reflected in your own life. Know if the lack of holy character necessary is reflected in your own life. 
and then hear the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. The Apostle Paul says this, A church that is divided is not a church prepared to take the Lord's Supper, but a church that is discerning is. A church that views the Lord's Supper as no more than just another thing we do is not prepared to take the Lord's Supper. A church that would humiliate one another is not prepared to take the Lord's Supper and is certainly not worthy of God's praise. The church is to remember Jesus, nothing more and nothing less. The story of Jesus is what was passed on to the church, and it's what we're invited into when we take the supper. To take the Lord's Supper is to proclaim that he has indeed died until he comes, and this is important for us. Jesus was a real man that died a real bodily death. If he did not die a bodily death and did not have his body buried in a tomb at one point, everything we're doing, the book of, the, actually the letter of Corinthians says, is ridiculous. If that's not true, Paul actually looks at us and says, you all look foolish and you should quit and go do everything you want to do right now. But it's not the case. Jesus is alive. A person who takes the supper in an unworthy manner is guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Do not take that lightly today. We are to examine ourselves, both individually and corporately. For without proper recognition of our bodies, we drink judgment on ourselves. We are to welcome one another to this table as brothers and sisters. Ordinary meals are to be had at home, as this is no ordinary meal. Here's our last point. The Lord's Supper is for the regenerate church. And the reason that I put the application right after that is, knowing that that is the truth, consider whether or not you are truly repentant before coming to God's table. While there is nothing special presently in that meal that we're about to take, the reality is is that he is present. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He convicts us of sin. He causes us to obey the will of the Lord. He causes us to make the will of God, our food, just as Jesus made the Father's will his food and causes us to be sustained, energized, brought to life, and strong for the work of ministry. Every one of us in this room that partakes in the gospel-drenched power of the Lord's Supper today is somebody carrying out the will of Jesus. We make disciples, we baptize people in the name of the triune God, and we go forward praying, seeking earnestly, that there will be way more seats filled with people who will partake in that meal because Jesus is the one who rescued them. To conclude, a healthy New Testament church doesn't take the Lord's Supper in a careless way, but through faith in a God who cares about their need for grace through the body and blood of Jesus, the Son of God. Before the worship team comes back up here, I want to invite you guys today to go to the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, looked at his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. After dinner, he took the cup and shared it with them and said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. 
Of the bread, he said, take and eat, and of the cup, he said, take and drink. It will be in the back behind you. That would be to your right. Whenever you're ready, as you've examined yourself, approach the table. If not, it is okay. Confess your sins to the Lord. There's no judgment in this place. The only judgment you should be concerned about is a careless taking of the Lord's Supper. I'll pray for us, and the worship team will come up here. Take the Lord's Supper as you desire. Our Father in heaven, let your name be made great in this place today, that we would not carelessly take the Lord's Supper, that we would consider our lives before you, our holy, righteous, and gracious God. Father, we thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you've given us every blessing in the heavenly realms in him, that you've made us children adopted by your Holy Spirit, who will never have to wonder whether or not we're loved by you or belong to you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you considered it great glory and great joy to have your body broken and your blood shed for people like us, who you had to come out then and get and shepherd back with your rod and comforting staff. Father, we could not have been here on our own power. And we thank you that we, your church, have been made so by your grace and mercy. Help us to have the right heart and character as we take your supper today, Lord. Help us to not only remember you, but to receive from you the power and the grace necessary to live for you. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, trusting that you make all things right. Amen.